They said getting started was the hardest part, but no one told you how hard it is to scale a custom service business. It's time for your team to step up, but your clients want you. Discover how to scale to seven figures and beyond by freeing up time and getting your team to run whole parts of the company so you can focus on scaling profits. This is the Hands-Off CEO with Mandy Ellefson. I have Lauren Greenfield here on our podcast. Lauren is the founder of Capital Concepts USA, LLC. This is his 21st startup business. So um, he really means uh, serial entrepreneur when he says serial entrepreneur. And um, he's native of Montreal, Canada. And um, he holds a bachelor degree from um, MIT and a master's degree from Stanford. Um, so those are, those are pretty... Uh, pretty prestigious universities there. But in the past 20 years, Lauren has focused on ensuring companies increase, um, experience growth at the, at the, the growth that they desire. And um, his passion is serving small and mid-sized businesses as an advocate and making sure that they understand uh, the role of finance in their companies. And um, one of the reasons why I'm having Lauren on here is not only is Lauren um, one of our Scale to Freedom tribe members, but uh, Lauren has... Uh, consistently advocated for business owners to be uh, really investing ahead of their companies. And um, I've seen Lauren do this in, in big, bold ways in his company too. And it's just very inspiring. And um, Lauren has some really great um, guidelines for us to look at for when it's appropriate to, to be fun, to get funding for your business. What are your options? What holds people back? And um, he also has a really amazing service of, uh, in his, his company, he has a great irresistible service that um, we'll be asking him about too. So um, anyway, uh, Lauren, welcome to the show. Well, thanks very much for having me, Mandy. It's always an honor and a privilege to, to talk to you. Yes, uh, likewise. Um, it's, it's been really fun having you as a client, Lauren, because you've had, you've had such great things to add to our tribe. And um, your perspective from, you know, this is your 21st business, um, You've been around the you've been around the block a few times. Yeah, it makes me quite serial, doesn't it? It's uh, <laughs> it's uh, the the count is actually up to about thirty right now, but uh, this one I've uh, had running for fifteen years, so I guess I've made a couple of good decisions along the way. I guess so. So um, so tell us, you know, we we have the the power of ones, like we have the the one client, the one painful problem, and the one outcome, and uh, this is all very familiar to you and um, conked you on the head uh, a few times with this, right? Um, mm -hmm. So what, what is your, do you want to, you can share your power of ones or, you know, what is it, what is it you do for clients and who do you do it for and what is the outcome? So um, let me preface by saying that, you know, having gone through 21 companies, I've obviously crashed and burned at least a couple of times. And I'm proud to say that because it's only from the failures that you learn. You don't learn all that much from the successes. And having worked in the trenches, I sit where all of my clients sit. Um, you know, I have experienced everything that they are experiencing today, yesterday, and in the future. You know, they may find different ways of presenting it, but the problems are all mostly the same. Um, and it's only through repetition or good coaching that we learn how to deal with those problems and be able to sidestep the minds that are in that 
mind healed. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I help small and medium-sized businesses, and I pretty much define that as companies under 75 mil in annual revenues. And, you know, currently I am focused on helping staffing companies. And staffing companies I define very broadly as any, any organization that puts a person on a project and marks up their labor rates. So that could include professional services firms as well as consulting firms. And the challenge that those firms have is that they're always running out of money. Because if you think about it, what does a staffing company do? It places a person on a project. They have to work at that location typically for a month. And then they get to submit an invoice. And for some unknown reason, unlike McDonald's that asks you to pay for your burger when you pick it up, businesses somehow get in their minds that net 30 is standard. So here you have 30 days that you've been, you've had this person on your payroll and you have to wait another 30 days to get paid from the customer and that's if they pay on time. So typically that's four payroll cycles before you get paid a dime. So multiply that by however many bodies that the staffing company places and you can imagine the cash requirements that they have. Mm. Yes, I, I too have seen that. And um, it's absolute madness, right? That they're expected to just wait 30 days and then hopefully being paid on time. So, would, so when you say, you know, that their cash requirements are really high. Now, do you go in and look at actually changing this payment cycle? Or are you just looking at, at helping them have the cash to be able to get through it? So there are several things at play here. And, you know, I, I gave the example of net 30. That, that's an optimistic case. You know, if, if you got that wonderful project from Walmart, uh, Walmart's AP department will call you up and say, guess what? We're going to pay you in 180 days. Now, go figure that one out. So all of a sudden, you know, that, that puts companies out of business if they try to accommodate or well, they have to engage somebody like me to level the playing field. And there's two ways that you can do that. One, of course, is to try to negotiate the payment terms, which in the case of Walmart is not going to happen. And the other way is to find creative lending solutions that will allow you to get cash sooner. Okay, got it. So what is, what is your irresistible service uh, product, like your guarantee with this? Because mm-hmm. I know this is, this, is a, the, it is a big piece of what we do with the irresistible service product. So you're working with, the, uh, you've defined the problem really well. You define the, the client. So what can they expect to get out of working with you for, say, a year? So we focus on, on staffing companies that are billing uh, under $10 million in annual uh, sales. And we guarantee that working with us over a course of 18 months, we will be able to double their top-line revenue and double their bottom-line take-home pay. No ifs, and or buts. Love that. That's, that is a, an incredible amount of confidence. So when you were putting this offer together initially, was that a little bit nerve-wracking to, um, to say? You know, the, yes and no. I mean, it was, 
it was challenging to actually put it on paper, but, you know, I actually selected the staffing industry by going through my past roster of clients. And I've been able to, to generate tremendous results for staffing companies, uh, in some cases far in excess of that double figure. So, you know, it's just a matter of deciding and figuring out who you can work with and who you can't and, and who has the metal and the organizational structure that allows them to grow and the vision to, to propel their growth mm. further. And so everything that I just that I heard you say, you're, those are basically qualifiers. So you have a really clear list of qualifiers and disqualifiers for what, what they need to have in place for you to create these kind of results. That is absolutely true. Uh, you know, as I like to say, you know, this isn't the participation optional sport. You know, I obviously expect the business owner to participate in the process. It's not going to be like, oh, sit back in an easy chair, you know, cross your arms, uh, have a sip of tea or, or, or Long Island iced tea. And, uh, you know, in 18 months, the business is transformed. Uh, no, I, I'm going to be working with uh, the, the agency owner. I'm going to be working with their teams. And uh, my team will be as well to generate those results. I love that. And I love that confidence you have in your offer. And, um, and thanks, thanks so much for sharing that and for sharing your perspective on how you've pretty much eliminated the risk to, to a certain extent. There's always a risk, right? But, um, but if you're looking at the risk reward, though, as far as putting together that, that solid of an offer that we're going to be able to double your top line and double your, um, your bottom line profit in 18 months, I mean, how does that change how you're able to sell it? You know, if you think about it, for agencies of that size to be able to achieve a double is a material change in lifestyle for them. And, and it transforms their thinking because you're hitting that, you know, those first couple of thresholds that are the hardest to grow past in business. And once you get past those, then it's clear sailing to the next ones. You know, from, from once you get past, you know, two, you get to five. Once you get to five, you get up to 10. But once you cross 10, it's a pretty easy path to get to 30, 40, or more. And when you say 10, you're saying 10 million and 40 That's million. And, okay. That's correct. Um, well, love that. Well, um, what we've talked about a lot in the tribe, and I know you've been just you've been quite an advocate for this is, is looking at when is it appropriate to get funding for your business? Like, how do you know if, if it is a good thing to be doing or not? Because I think that there's a lot of business owners out there who are, are scared about getting into debt and um, take and overextending themselves, particularly as, as we're seeing big companies right now falling to, to shreds right now because they've over leveraged. Yeah, and that's a very important point, and, and it's been drummed into our heads since we were kids. Um, you know, we've either had parents or grandparents who have gone through the Depression years, um, even, even more recently than that. 2008 was a, a nerve-wracking time for a lot of folks, and debt was always, you know, first and foremost around the concerns. And 
there is a big difference between personal debt and business debt. On the personal side, yes, you, you should be as deleveraged as possible. You know, you should pay off those loans, pay off those credit cards as soon as possible. But your business is an asset. And most people don't look at their business as an asset. It should be looked at just the same as you would look at any stock or bond you would purchase. You obviously don't buy Apple stock hoping that it's going to stay the same price. You expect it to rise and rise and rise. And the same viewpoint should be taken for your business. Because if you only expect the business to stay stagnant, then what have you done? You've actually just created a job for yourself. You're not a business owner. And so it, it's very important to really focus on growth because with a business, you're either growing or you're dying. It's one or the other. And so the focus or your effort should always be trained on how are you going to accomplish growth? Now, organic growth, uh, that is working the business on its own and just having it grow naturally. Well, some businesses can grow pretty quickly that way, but not most of them. And if you take a look at you know, all of the Fortune 1000 companies, they didn't get to where they are by organic growth. They borrowed money, they, they turned to deploying it either internally or externally to buy other add-on pieces. And so you should always be looking at your business that same way. Mm. So one of the things that I've noticed is that there are specific points in a business where you, you might have been able to get or have pretty good organic growth through certain spurts, but then you hit these plateaus. So is that the, really the time where you should be investing? You should actually be investing much earlier. Or okay. what you should be doing is you should be setting up access to the right capital a lot sooner. So it starts with having the plan in mind. You know, you, you've got to have a, a business plan established because without the map, how do you know where you're going to get to or when you're going to get there? So incorporated into that plan, you project how you're going to grow. But the challenge there is that most business owners really have a poor background in finance. And so they don't know what they don't know. And so they need to enlist competent professionals to help them with that task of, of developing proper projections. But more importantly than that, in order to accomplish that growth, you need access to capital. And there are different types of capital out there. There's bank financing, there's private company financing, and there's private investor financing. So what about for the, the smaller companies that are, say, under a million, and they're looking at, at taking out, um, they're looking at investing ahead in their company, they're looking at getting funding for their company, what are some of their best options? So uh, typically for companies that are doing under a million dollars a year, 
finding bank financing is tough uh, unless they're dealing with their local community bank that they banked at for years and they have a relationship established. And even today, that's getting harder and harder to do as community banks get gobbled up or go away. So, and of course, senior bankers are being retired and being replaced with much junior staff. And so the, the connection between the bank and the customer is gradually being eroded. But that said, there are other options in the marketplace and it really depends upon the business owner's business model. You know, how he actually turns an order into cash, how he fulfills that order, uh, what contractors or materials are necessary to complete that order to determine what types of financing might be appropriate. So there, there's a definite difference between uh, bank financing, which is typically in the form of a, a, a line of credit, and private company lines, which might be more specific. And I'll give you an example of that. So a private company line might be a, a special loan that is purely for working capital, or there might be a line of credit or loan that is purely for accounts receivable. So depending upon what the needs are, you can either work with private company finance, uh, private finance company options and get multiple different products and blend them together as I do often to create customized lending solutions for my clients. Um, or you can get a bank line of credit if you're lucky enough to be able to do that. Now, I, I say lucky enough. It, it, it's sort of a blessing and a curse because bank lines of credit don't come with an instruction manual, as I often say. Um, they, they're typically structured very um, loosely in that you can draw down on the line anytime you want and repayment is at your option and you get billed every month for the interest on the outstanding balance. Well, the challenge with many small business owners who take out lines of credit like that is because there is no instruction manual, because there is no requirement to pay back the loan on any specific term, that sometimes that money gets <clears throat> used for purposes that it shouldn't. And when I say purposes that shouldn't, um, typically when you borrow money for business, you must always have in mind what the return on investment is going to be. For every dollar that you borrow, you must be able to make at least the money plus the interest charge and hopefully a profit margin on top of that. So this is where knowing your business's numbers come in very important. You have to know what your gross profit margin is because that determines how, how easily you can repay monies that you borrow. And you need to know what your operating expenses are to see if you have money left over to pay on that loan. So all of those things factor in to how much you can borrow, 
what the opportunity is and whether it's a reasonable approach to borrow the money and use it in that purpose. Alternatively, it's a really bad idea to borrow money and go buy a truck with it because as we all know, that truck depreciates 30% the minute you drive it off the dealer's floor. And so that's, that's a poor investment because that's not an appreciating asset. It's also not a good idea to go take a vacation with it. And believe me, I've seen that done, but <laughs> thankfully not after they hire me, but, but often before. So, you know, we have to correct those uh, spending habits and instill some discipline in our clients' operations to where they are very focused on the numbers and the impact of every dollar coming in and every dollar going out. So what should they be spending it on? What, are, what should they be in using the, the, this funding money to invest in? I always recommend that my clients spend that money that they borrow exclusively on marketing and sales efforts. Because obviously every sale generates that gross profit margin that I mentioned a little bit earlier. So, so long as the cost of funds is less than your gross profit margin, then in theory, you can borrow unlimited amounts of money. So what you said there was really profound. And I think we need to say it again. Because let's, let's kind of break this down and show an example of this. So like you borrow, um, let's say you borrow $100,000, okay? So um, the $100,000, what would be a reasonable interest, interest uh, or cost to actually borrow that $100,000? Uh, let's make the math simple. Let's call it 5%. Five, 5%. Okay, so 5%. So now it's cost... Uh, so how long would you expect that to, to be paid off in? Oh, that, that's a great question. Yeah, thanks for asking that. So um, in the consumer world, whenever you go borrow money, they give you this truth in lending statement, right? That tells you what the cost of financing is going to be over three years, five years. In the case of a house, 30 years. I mean, all of those ridiculous numbers. Um, and the reality is, when you borrow for business, you are never borrowing for 30 years. You know, if you are, you won't be around and the business won't be around by, by the time it, it's ready to pay off in most cases. Business borrowing should always be very, very short term. And in most cases, if you're dealing with um, private company, private finance company lines of credit, those are typically paid off in days and weeks, not months and years. So the objective is to use the money for what it's intended to be used for and immediately pay it off. So, so when I structure customized loans for my clients, we may have three or four different types of lines of credit that are specifically addressed to a, a particular phase in the order fulfillment cycle. And 
obviously the greatest point of risk is at the very beginning, because according to Murphy's law, anything that can go wrong will go wrong. So, <laughs> you know, as you go through the fulfillment process, you're taking risk out of the equation. So, so at the point in time when the project is over and you get paid, the risk is now zero, right? So it goes from 100% risk to 0% risk at the end. Obviously, when it's most risky, the cost of the financing should be the highest. And the cost of the financing at the end where the risk is zero should be zero. So, so therefore, you have different products that are priced differently depending upon the risk level is at that point in time. Yeah. And, and that makes a lot of sense. And, but at the same time, I, I see that this is this is applicable for companies that are, you know, multiple seven and eight figures, like at that level. So when we're looking at companies that are much smaller, maybe even pre seven figures, they're, they're working on their first million. Mm -hmm. um, what are some of the, let's, I'd like to talk about private funding and, and SBA loans. Um, you know, as you were actually even talking about the, the funding, you know, like my husband and I, we do a lot of business funding for family members, actually, for, um, for them to buy inventory, for them to, to finance a, um, building a house, you know, these type of, of things. And um, it's the easiest way for them to get funding, and it's a great investment for us. So what are some of the ways that, um, that you can utilize these different ways, different kinds of funding? So absolutely. Yeah. And uh, these techniques work for multi-billion dollar companies and they work for very, very small companies that are under $100,000 in revenue. Um, you know, factoring, as an example, or receivables financing, has gotten a bad rap over the years. And yet, if you take a look at uh, financial reporting for public companies, and you take a look at their quarterly reports, they clean up their balance sheet every quarter by borrowing funds to reduce the accounts receivable and, and increase their cash. So, you know, big corporations draw down on receivables all the time in order to, to make their balance sheets better, look better, and, and make themselves be more liquid. So even with small companies, there are opportunities to take out different specific lines of credit. And I've helped a lot of companies in the, in the sub $1 million uh, revenue range and help them develop the right stack of finance lines that they need in order to fulfill orders more rapidly, take on more orders, grow faster, and get above that $1 million mark. So how much faster can you do that when you have the cash? Uh, it's limited by your imagination and your ability to sell. <laughs> Seriously. I, I mean, it's, you know, if the money is available, then what's stopping you from fulfilling? You know, if you have a, if you have capacity in your organization to, to fulfill orders, then the limitation is sales. If sales is going really well, 
and your fulfillment area is, has got kinks in it, well, then that's going to be the weak link and that's going to restrict your growth. And if you don't have access to cash and the other two parts are great, well, you know, you know the answer there too. So Right. Well, and this is, this is what I'm, I see too. And when, when clients come to work with us, they either have a problem with um, not enough sales or they have uh, too much demand and they, can't, they don't have enough ability to, to actually fulfill on it. So I find that when you have too much demand, it's a much easier problem to solve. Um, and when you have the ability to go out and sell new business, it's, I think it's crazy not to, to actually invest ahead because all it takes is you going out and selling to cover it. That's assuming that, like you said, your gross profit margin actually um, is acceptable and that, you, that, that it actually makes sense. No question. And there, there are a lot of companies that um, go out into the marketplace and they take on, uh, they take an order uh, without really concerning themselves about how much they're going to make from that order. And they're shortchanging themselves. And uh, often they'll take money that, that is a loser. Uh, they'll take an order that, that loses the money because they haven't accurately priced uh, the services or the products that they're selling. Yeah, it's absolutely. It's like a restaurant that is selling hamburgers and it takes $10 to make the hamburger and then they go and sell it for $8. So every time they sell a hamburger, they're actually losing $2. Uh, and, you know, I, I always use the example of the Chinese restaurant on the corner that used to only take cash because that they, they thought that credit card fees were too expensive. And I shake, my, I, I shake my head and I scratch my head and I say, okay, what's wrong with this picture? You know, raise, raise your price to cover the, the highest cost of a credit card and then you're ecstatic when somebody hands you cash. You just made an extra, what, three and a half, four percent. So there you go. <laughs> well, and I think what that's pointing to is actually a marketing problem. Because it's, it's a marketing, in, uh, in their case, not sales, because it's, it's all, all with um, retail, it's all marketing to, um, to bringing in customers. And if they have to keep their prices at rock bottom, it's because they have done an insufficient job of marketing because they're cheap. <laughs> yeah. And, and of course, you know, even before COVID, right? Restaurants raise prices regularly. And... It took them a long while before they started doing that, but finally the cost of, of food increased enough that they had to raise prices. And it's not as though patrons, you know, really uh, read the menus with a fine-tooth comb, but a lot of patrons are aware that the prices are, are, are rising. They, they don't get out of the chair and walk out because the restaurant raised the price. And most business owners are fearful I mean, absolutely paranoid about raising prices. Yeah, and you know, the, my, the massage therapist that I go to, I have this problem and she's just too cheap. She's amazing. So the problem is, is I can never get an appointment because her prices are way too low. And um, so I have to book out like eight weeks and then like, like, like uh, you know, you're fighting for an appointment and like, the person they're booking is trying to keep booking me with other people on her staff, which I don't, 
So what's actually going on is that the, the, um, the massages that the rest of the team give are only worth about the price that they're charging. Her massages are worth a whole lot more than that. I'm willing to pay more. I'm like, please just let me pay more so I can get on her calendar. <laughs> and, um, like how often do you, like you might actually be in a situation where your best customers want you to charge more so that you actually can deliver the level of service that they want. Absolutely. Uh, no question. And that's true whether it's massage therapy or it's coaching or, or counseling, right? All of yeah. that applies. And that, that's why you have attorneys that are $1,500 an hour and you have attorneys that are $250 an hour. Well, and, and that's exactly the case too with, with service businesses because here's the problem is if, if they have, if you are um, working with a service, let's say it's a marketing agency and let's say half of their clients they're not making money on. Well, they're, let's say that you're one of the clients that they are making money on. Well, you know what? You're subsidizing all those other projects that aren't making money and as a result, the quality will continue to erode and go down, down, down. So if, so something you should be aware of when you're actually looking at a service is, are they too low? If their pricing is, is too low, the, ability, their, the chances of them being able to actually uh, deliver your, your service at a quality, at a profit, it, like, if the prices are not high enough, they can't. You know, one, one of the businesses that, that I started up was a uh, point of sale software company. And so we were deployed in a lot of different uh, cash register systems across, across the country. And, uh, you know, our system was able to discern, okay, wh what were your top sellers for a period of time and what were your bottom sellers for a period of time? And, and we, we would track the pricing against the inventory cost and, and give our, our customers a, a report on a monthly basis anytime they wanted to compare you know, uh, which one should they be phasing out? Which one should they be uh, reducing inventory on, the, the generating clearance sales or whatever, because inventory that sits is costing you money. And so we would give them actionable intelligence on how to uh, both price their goods as well as uh, move the inventory. Mm. Um, and that's really valuable to have. And you can have that same um, data and information for you for service businesses when you, you know you're doing consulting uh, work. But um, I haven't found a software that actually does that exactly. It seems like it's a lot more manual thinking work on it. And maybe I'm wrong on this, but um, as you know, this is a lot of the work that we do with with Scale to Freedom with the Irresistible Service Products, actually analyzing that and seeing what areas that which clients you're working with are the most profitable and what do they have in common? And it might actually be that industry. It might be kind of a sister industry and it's evaluating who can you really be the most profitable for and at the same time be scalable too. I mean, you could be very profitable for some types of clients, but if it requires all of you as the CEO, I mean, is that even a client you want to work with? You can't scale that. No question. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm guilty of that one myself. You know, I, I have, I've had some, very time intensive clients over the years that, that just gobbled up my time. And at the end of the year, I take a look and do a recap and say, oh yeah, well that revenue was nice, but do I really want to go through that again? And the answer of course is no. 
You know, you don't. Right. You, you want to create a system that is scalable, that doesn't require you being physically there. Right, right. And one of the things that we see with services is when you can look at these top-end, um, more customized services that you're doing with the clients like you were mentioning, and you can say, what are the things in common that worked really well? And then what is a market maybe down, maybe down market a little bit that we can apply these same ideas to, but maybe even charge the same amount? I know that sounds crazy, but when, when you're able to offer a bigger outcome, like for example, doubling, doubling the profit, doubling top line for um, these companies that did you say it was five, five million and up? Uh, under 10 million, under 10 million. So, you know, for a company under 10 million, I mean, how much does that add to the, add to their bottom line? Well, um, in many cases, profit margins are around 40%. So that's pretty significant. So, so then if 40% for a company that's at 5 million, how much is that then? Uh, 2 million. Yeah. I'm putting you, I wouldn't put most people on this spot, but I know that your brain works like a calculator. So <laughs> you're adding $2 million for this company, which for you, this, these type of companies are a lot smaller than um, the much larger clients that you've worked with in the past. But um, are you seeing that your profit margin is a lot um, better and more scalable when you're looking at, you know, really expanding this with the team? Um, no question. You know, it's, the, the challenge, of course, is, is trying to parse out what I do and, and to eliminate uh, the more administrative or more uh, by rote types of activities so that my thinking is reserved for the more strategic elements. Right. Absolutely. And uh, you're right in that right now. And it's been, um, it's been incredible to see you grow and to um, see your brilliance be packaged in a way that has such a bold offer. It's just, that's really exciting. Yeah, it's been, it's been a lot of fun and, and it's been, it's been eye-opening too. Uh, you know, one of the things that, that I've been doing uh, in, in preparation for launching that, that program uh, was to sort of do a, a focus study uh, to target a couple of uh, companies to sort of preview my offer and uh, to get some feedback on it. And it's amazing what people will tell you, isn't it? <laughs> um, yes. Um, and and are, are you referencing our piloting process? Yes, I am. Okay. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So for, for you listening, um, as part of our irresistible service product, we put together this offer. We have a pretty good idea of what we'll sell. We have a pretty good idea of who in the market for it, but you don't really know until you actually buy it. So, um, how you actually find that out is through a piloting process. And, um, and anyway, that, that's what Lauren is referencing, um, right, right, right. Well, right now. So, I'm really excited for that first sale, but I know that you're, um, you're really close to that. Actually, I shouldn't even say that. You probably already, already passed that. And um, so, um, yeah, anyway, uh, Lauren, do you have any, is there anything I didn't ask you that you would like, that you'd like me to ask you now? Uh, so so you, you, did, you did talk about, um, you know, some of, the, some of the government options that were out there. And of course, you know, 
I think we've we've gone through much of the first wave of it. Uh, there's still some some money available, uh, but more for some larger uh, companies. I think that this created sort of a I'll call it a hiccup in, in the marketplace because, and it also lulled a lot of companies into a false sense of security. And what I mean by that is, you know, the payroll protection program that was rolled out by, by the SDA through, through the uh, traditional lenders was designed to, in my opinion, uh, prevent the unemployment figures from, from being even higher than they were. And so it gave money to businesses to keep some personnel on board. Now, some businesses, of course, never had a dip in income, and for them, it ended up being a windfall. Uh, but a lot of companies took massive hits to their top line. And for those businesses, Taking that government money to keep personnel on board in the face of reduced top line revenue just didn't make business sense. Because, you know, fast forward eight weeks, eight and a half weeks, whatever the figure was, and you don't have, you still don't have the revenue. And, you st and you've spent that money that could have sustained you on people who probably weren't doing much because the revenue was down. So I'm finding now in, in the aftermath that I'm getting a lot of requests from companies that are looking for money or they're scrambling because in today's 0% interest rate environment, traditional banks are reluctant to lend unless there's a government guarantee program behind it. So all of the normal lending that banks might do, with the exception of stuff that's tied to real property, like housing or equipment, uh, but any sort of receivables or, or inventory or things like that, banks are going to be very, very reluctant to, to lend right now. So, so that leaves... Sorry, I, I don't want to leave it hanging like that. No, leave. please do. I, I was, I wanted to, that was what I was going to ask you about. Yeah, so, so in today's environment, depending upon the industry, the only options for finding funding are, are from those private company lenders that I mentioned earlier in this segment because they underwrite lending differently than banks do. So, and, are, and when you say differently, is it because they go based on your personal income, not your so, not the business? So I like to say that banks follow a consumer model of lending because they expect the business owner to be the sole repayment source. They don't really evaluate the business per se. They'll take a look at it. They're going to take a look at the financials. But the ultimate responsibility of paying back that loan from a bank is the business owner. So they look at his personal net worth, they take a look at his personal assets and his liquid situation. Contrast that with a um, private finance company that is focused on business lending 
That's all they've been doing. They don't do any sorts of personal loans and they truly understand the business landscape. And so they understand the business, they understand the industry. And a lot of these lenders are um, sort of very narrowly focused on a particular size range of business and industry verticals so that they are experts in those areas. And more than that, they evaluate the customers because if you think about it, you know, where does a loan get repaid from in a business? It's from the customers purchasing and, and contributing dollars to the company that that's where the money's gonna come from. It's not the owner taking money out of his payroll check every month to make the payment. Hopefully not anyway, so. Right. Well, thanks for that. So then um, let's say a, a marketing agency that it's, let's say they're a half a million um, in gross sales. If they were looking for funding from one of these private companies, where would they go search? Uh, they would probably call someone like me. Okay. Uh, because, mostly because Yes, there are some that are, that are out there who advertise regularly, but the banking industry, the lending industry is very fluid and people move from place to place. So for people like myself who, who keep tabs on all of these companies and know the individuals, we know who the good players are and who the bad players are. And you know, we know who specializes in toy stores and who specializes in marketing companies and who specializes in consulting and who specializes in import-export. Mm -hmm. So all of those industries have specialized players and, you know, people like me are, are the ones who know who to go to. Okay, got it. So, well, I've been seeing more opportunities around like SBA loans. You know, some of our clients have gotten these SBA loans, but, which um, the interest rate seems pretty reasonable, like a 10-year term on it. You have to, to have a, take out a min minimum of $50,000. Um, and the government's even paying on um, the, the, the payments until January as of right now. This, we're in August right now. Um, what do you think about those options? Are, are there something to be aware of? Are they harder to get? Um, what is your opinion on those kind of loans? So every single loan that's out there has a place. You know, it has an area where it's, where it's good to and makes sense to do, and there are areas where it doesn't make sense to do. In general, if a business is growing or has plans to grow, SBA options are not appropriate. And the reason is that SBA is very uh, rigid and they don't like to change anything. So if all of a sudden you need more money because you're growing faster, you're going to have to pay off that SBA loan first. They don't play nice with other lenders. So usually when I add an SBA loan to the mix, I put them in last place. In other words, I get my, my full debt structure in place first, because just like a house that has a first mortgage, maybe a second mortgage, maybe a third mortgage, you know, uh, business loans also have collateral attachments as well. And people who are in, you know, more senior position get to say more about how things work. And so 
if SBA is there, they're not going to want somebody behind. And so what if they're just looking at taking out like 50,000 and that's all that they want and they see that's, that's all that they really need? Or maybe they say, well, you know, I only need 50, but we'll go out, hey, go ahead and take out 100. Is there any, is there any reason why they shouldn't do that? Uh, the only reason goes back to what we discussed earlier, and that is making sure that the money is spent on items that are going to generate a return and that the uh, profitability and cash flow supports making the payments. Uh, if, if that's all the money that's needed and that carries you through to, to the promised land, absolutely. There, there's no reason to borrow more than you need. You know, I really like your mindset around this, Lauren, because, you know, I, I hadn't actually looked at it quite to the extent that you had explained it here. You basically, I, I can't remember exactly the way you phrased this, but it's the same way that I would phrase, you know, if, if you're investing in advertising, for example, and you're putting in a dollar and you're, it's spitting out three or it's spitting out five, it's spitting out eight, why wouldn't you throw in as many dollars as you possibly can? And it sounds like that's what your perspective is on, on borrowing money to fund your, your growth or your business. Absolutely. I, I mean, as I said before, borrowing money to accomplish more sales is absolutely appropriate. You know, it's, you, you want those marketing and sales activities to propel you to the next levels and spending money on that is highly appropriate. Absolutely. Um, well, Lauren, it's been great having you on here. And um, if people are, are listening to this, they want to reach out to you, how can they find you? So um, my email address is Lauren, L-O-R-N is a Nancy E, at capconcepts, plural, capconceptsusa.com. And, um, and, go ahead, sorry. Oh, sorry, I, I was going to say that, you know, uh, one, one resource that, that I provide for, for folks if they want to check out how their business financial health is. Um, we have a free tool uh, that you can find at uh, www.capshots.net. C-A-P as in Peter, S-H-O-T-S dot net. Okay, and that's a, and that's a, a free business financial um, fortune quiz? That's correct. Okay, great. Well, go to capshots.net. We'll have that in our, our show notes as well. Lauren, again, it was such a pleasure to have you here on the podcast. Thanks so much for sharing all of your brilliance. Uh, always a pleasure. Glad to help anytime. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Hands-Off CEO with Mandy Ellefson. If you want to work less and make more, make sure you subscribe and get a new episode every week and help spread the word by leaving a review.